I want you to take God's word with me tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And the Lord laid this parable on my heart a number of weeks ago, and I intended on, on, on several different occasions to preach from it. But I was led otherwise until uh, this evening. The last couple of days I've been meditating on this passage of Scripture, and uh, I believe now is the time. Matthew chapter 13, and we come to this passage of Scripture where the Lord Jesus ends his uh, parables on the kingdom, the kingdom parables. And um, there are in this chapter a number of parables that deal with the kingdom. And this is the one we're looking at tonight is the second of those parables. The first one is the parable of the seed and the sower. The second one is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 24. Let's read together down to verse number 43. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. Gather the wheat into my barn. I want you to jump down to verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
Let's take just a moment to pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look together at this text. Heavenly Father, we come to thy word tonight and recognize that all of our understanding is pointless and meaningless and faulty. We see, as it were, through a glass that is marred and dim. And we pray that tonight thy spirit might open the eyes of our minds and hearts, open the understanding of our heart. We pray that thy spirit might illuminate this text in our thinking, that we might be good listeners, good hearers tonight. Help us to know where we stand with thee. Give us more understanding about the condition of the world and the condition of thy church, thy body tonight. Speak to us, we pray. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. I am very thankful for this portion of scripture. It explains what we are living in today. It explains the condition of Christianity today. It explains our churches today. Jesus gives a parable in verses 24 to verse 30, and I am very grateful that in verse number 36, one of his disciples says, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field, and then Jesus explains it. So thankfully, the preacher doesn't have to make it up. Jesus gives it to us quite clearly in this text. By the way, sometimes we give Peter a hard time because he asks so many questions. But if it wasn't for Peter's questions and other disciples' questions and comments, we would not have been given so much of what has been explained for us in God's Word. So instead of criticizing him, let's give thanks for the questions that Peter have asked. In verses 1 to 35, notice Jesus is preaching in public. He's in a, in a wide open space and he went out of the house in chapter 13, verse number 1, and great multitudes were gathered uh, unto him. And so he sat into a ship and he taught the multitudes on the shore. So the first 35 verses, he's preaching to a great multitude out in the public. But in verse 36, he goes into the quietness of a private home. And he has an intimate conversation with his disciples about this parable. And I want you to notice very, first of all, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the parable, I think it's important that we look at the context of it. If we don't see the context of Jesus' sermon here and what he's preaching, uh, then perhaps we'll misunderstand it. Let's, let's sort of back up our thinking. If you go all the way back to chapter 10 of Matthew, the Lord Jesus sends his disciples out and they are preaching. Remember, he sends them first to the house of Israel, to the Jews. Not to the Gentiles, but to the Jewish people. Because if you remember, they have a foundation. They've been taught from the time they were little the things of God. So they're expecting, or at least they should have been, expecting and waiting on a Messiah. So go first to the Jews. So that's chapter 10. Then you come to chapter 11. If you remember, John the Baptist is arrested, thrown in prison. And I think it's very interesting that we don't have any record of one Jewish leader doing anything about it. That's one of, one of their own, a Jewish citizen being arrested and we know later on to be beheaded and we do not hear of one Jewish leader doing anything about it to which they had the power to do something about it. 
I was listening to a commentary on this here over the last couple of days, and, and one man made an o- excellent observation that the nation of Israel has three very serious murders on their hands. They have the murder of John the Baptist on their hand because they allowed him to be murdered without doing anything about it, without even speaking up about his unjustly being arrested and then being murdered. And then they have the murder of Jesus on their hands because they asked for him to be crucified. And then they have the murder of Stephen on their hands to which they actually stoned Stephen themselves. And I thought that was an interesting observation. Three significant murders on their hands. Uh, The gentleman went on to state that they were significant murders because John the Baptist, the murder of John the Baptist was a sin against God. Because if you remember, John the Baptist was sent from God the Father to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. So they murdered the prophet of God that God had sent. And then to murder Jesus was a sin against the Son of God, Jesus himself. And to murder Stephen, if you remember, one of the the last things Stephen said was that they had grieved the Holy Spirit time and time again. And this was a sin against the Spirit of God. And from that point on, you'll read in the narrative, in the historical narrative, that the gospel went from the Jewish people on now to the Gentile people. And so that's exactly uh, what you find in this record. Chapter 11, John the Baptist arrested. And then we find in chapter 12, you remember these religious leaders called Jesus a friend of Beelzebub, who is Satan. Look at chapter 12 and verse number 24. And you'll remember this, uh, this terrible sin uh, that they, they do in, in trying to associate the work of Jesus with Satan. And uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 24, look at it there with me, please. The Bible says, when the Pharisees, religious leaders, heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, uh, doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. And we find in chapter 12 that these religious leaders are accusing Jesus of laboring, working for Satan. And Jesus points out their illogical nonsense. And points out how, what a nonsense, nonsensical idea it is. But we also find in that passage that Satan has a kingdom. Did you ever think about that? As much as God has a kingdom, Satan also has a kingdom. And Jesus speaks briefly of that in chapter 12. So you got chapter 10, the disciples sent out to the Jews. Chapter 11, John the Baptist is arrested and uh, imprisoned. Chapter uh, chapter 12, uh, Jesus is accused of, uh, by the religious leaders of Pharisees, accused of laboring for Satan, with Satan, in Satan's kingdom. And then we come to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we have a a great peak in Jesus' ministry. It begins these kingdom parables. It begins to explain all of these things. And in chapter 13, At the beginning of chapter 13, great multitudes are following him. Now, most of us would say, man, that's amazing. Look at the big crowd, thousands of people. 
And everybody gets excited about big crowds. And so Jesus begins to explain with parables the truth about the multitudes. Can I just tell you tonight, not everything that glitters is gold. If you haven't figured that out by now, then you've got your head in the sand. Not everyone who comes along is what you think they are. Not everyone who calls himself a Christian is what they say they are. And not every preacher in the pulpit is what he claims to be. And so in our parable tonight, if you remember, Jesus says, don't worry, because the harvest at the end, there will be a harvesting, and then I'll separate the wheat from the tares. And he said, the harvest is the end of the world. Now think about this, because oftentimes we think the harvest is the end of a meeting. We preach a gospel meeting, we have a gospel mission, and we're waiting for the harvest. But Jesus says the harvest is the end of the world. Now we pray for a harvest of souls, nothing wrong with that. But our expectation ought to be towards the end of the world, the end of the age, not the end of a meeting. And so in chapter 13, the first parable, verses 1 to 23, is the parable of the seed and the sower. You remember that, and here's the point on that one. Most hearts will not bear fruit. Four kinds of soil, only one soil is good soil. Four kinds of listeners... Only one listener out of the four is the good ground. And so most hearts are not going to give evidence, bear fruit of God's work in them. I didn't, I didn't check this, but I should have done. But they, they say that seven out of the eight parables in this chapter, chapter deal with a separate, or in this segment, deal with a separating work. Certainly a lot of his parables did, didn't they? Not every big crowd is a mark of success. Don't forget that. Not every big congregation, not every big church is necessarily doing the work of God and is not necessarily a mark of spiritual success. Now, we're not going to try to make our church small. That's not our job. We're not going to try to weed out the wheat from the tares, as we'll see in, in, a moment, in a moment's time. We're not going to try to keep it real small. That's not our job. But we're also not going to boast about something that might embarrass us a few weeks down the road. We're not going to get up and clap our hands about how many people came. We can't even do that today. Look at all the mega churches today. You can't even meet together now. So we're not going to clap our hands and pat ourselves on the back by the number of people that come in the doors of our chapel, by the number of people we baptize, by the number of people you got to write their name down on a card because you led them in a prayer. I'm not going to boast about something today that might embarrass us tomorrow. I think it's interesting today, now instead of pastors and churches getting excited about how many people are coming to their services, now they're getting excited about how many likes and how many views they get on their videos which is a load of nonsense and silliness. Because you, you, you can get a church, can get 1,500 likes or views, according to Facebook, 1,500 views on the sermon, and the reality is a, a view that lasts three seconds is counted there. 
and we're going to pat ourselves on the back and boast about how many people watch the sermon when the reality is 90% of them never even watched the whole thing. And that shows us really the same way that Christians boast about their ministries in a normal season. We have 1,000 people coming, 500 people coming to our church, 100 people coming to our church. It's not about the quantity. It's not about how many, but in the quality of the professions and the lives that are being lived. So we have this parable. And really the heart and core of this message, of this parable, the message that Jesus is giving here is very simple. Here's what it is. Wherever Jesus Christ is planting his children, his true children, Satan is there planting his children. That's what Jesus is saying. Wherever in the world, speaking with some dear friends from Kenya this week, speaking with some friends from Canada this week, friends from America this week, had a message today from some friends watching from the Netherlands. No matter where you go in the world, you will always find wherever God has planted his children, Satan will also plant his. Without a doubt, without exception. Look at our text. Now that we've got a bit of understanding, Jesus is dealing primarily, talking primarily about these Pharisees and Sadducees. That's who he's dealing with. He's talking about these who he calls in another portion of Scripture children of the devil. You are of your father the devil, he said to the Pharisees. That's what he's talking about here. There will always be and always have been good and evil in the church. Always. It's interesting, if you look at the parable with me, please, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 24, uh, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now later on, Jesus explains in verse number 37, he that soweth the seed is the son of man. Jesus sows the seed in his field. We're talking about the kingdom of God. His kingdom. The place where he expects his children to grow, the place where he expects his children to flourish is his field, his kingdom. It's very interesting. In the field of the church of the living God, in his family, in his body, Satan has planted his children. Wherever Jesus' children are found, so will be found Satan's. The very best preaching on earth cannot prevent it. The greatest preacher, think about for a moment, the greatest preacher, preachers that have ever walked this earth, whoever you might think them to be. Charles Spurgeon is called the Prince of Preachers. Think about the great Puritan preachers. John Knox would preach and his voice thundered with such authority people would shake. Jonathan Edwards got up and preached that great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and people, uh, knuckles went white as they held to the back of the pews, frightened they were going to fall off into hell as he explained about how they were dangling by one thread like a spider over the very pits of hell. Some of the greatest preachers, George Whitfield, they said you could hear his voice for two miles down the road. 30,000 people would come and listen to him preach at one time and be able to hear him. 
and all the greatest preachers in the world cannot prevent Satan from planting his children in and amongst the church. Oh, it makes us sick. It makes every true child of God sick. It worries every true and sincere child of God. Some of our dearest saints here at our church, Oxford Baptist Chapel, they, they, they worry about this constantly. Not in a sinful way, but in, a, in, a, in the right kind of a way. Pray for it frequently. Purity in the church. Protect us as we ought to do. But can I tell you the greatest preachers in the world and the greatest churches in the world cannot prevent it. This is what Jesus is saying. Think about Jesus. Twelve fiery preachers. Twelve workers of miracles. Twelve men who could cast out demons. Twelve who could touch and heal the lame and the sick. And one of them was a devil. One of them had been planted. And if Jesus, the Son of God, could have one in his congregation, don't you think we'll have some in ours? Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, before leaving, called together the Ephesian elders. He wanted to give them an exhortation before he left, and he says in Acts chapter 20, in verse number 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Can I tell you the very best thing that a minister of the gospel can do is guard himself. If we take more time watching our own hearts, then we'd be more effective in the pulpits, more effective in the field. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You know what he said? As soon as I leave, there are wolves waiting outside, waiting outside of the sheep pen, you could say. And they're waiting for the shepherd to leave. And as soon as I leave... The wolves are coming in to devour the sheep. That's bad. But as bad as that is, the next verse is worse. As bad as it is to have wolves waiting on the outside, waiting for the shepherd to leave so that he can come in and eat the flock. Look at the next verse. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Not only are they waiting on the outside, but they have been planted on the inside. You remember what Paul said? Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. No wonder his ministers, as, just like Satan has a kingdom, Christ has a kingdom, Satan has a kingdom. Jesus has ministers of the gospel, Satan has false ministers of the gospel. You know, they are planted. Jesus puts his ministers over the charge and over, overseeing a flock. Satan puts his ministers overseeing the destruction and demise of a flock. Satan is a copycat. He's a mimicker. And so we find here in our text, back to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, while men slept, the good seed had been uh, sowed, 
while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, I, I don't want to stretch this parable, parable beyond what it's saying, but Jesus makes a point to say while they slept. Now, there's a, there's a time and a place when men have to sleep. And so I don't think that the focus and the main um, intention of this parable is to point out that God's servants are sleeping. But I do think it's worth mentioning. I don't think Jesus was necessarily saying uh, his servants were sleeping because servants sleep at night. They need to do so. But it is worth mentioning that it happened while they slept. Whether they needed to sleep or not, it happened while they slept. And I'm telling you there are many ministers today you might say, we can't help it. We're not supposed to go to church. We're not supposed to worship together. We can't really go and visit our homes. And I don't know what else to do. We're sort of stuck at home. And so we don't really have a choice. And we have to sleep. We have to stay at home. Maybe there's an element of truth in that. But let me tell you, while ministers are sleeping, Satan is working. Satan is working. Today he's working. Today he's working. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the house came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servant said, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. I want to speak to you just briefly about this thought. Jesus explains later on in the, in the chapter that the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. He explains it for us in our text. And explains that we cannot separate the sheep from the goats before time. We cannot separate the wheat from the tare tares before the appointed time. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall be the end of this world. And so we cannot gather them until the end of the world. It's a very important, important thing to note. Because if we're not careful, we want to make haste in gathering together all, all of the, all of the uh, tares. And I, can I tell you, a lot of damage has been done. A lot of damage has been done in, a, in an honest endeavor to try to weed out all the tares. And if we're not careful, an overzealous heart and an overzealous mind trying to rip out all the tares now might do damage to God's children. Bruised reed might be broken, and the quenching flax, smoking flax might be quenched if we're not careful. It's interesting, the, these servants came and, and asked them about this. Apparently, the, this tear, it's a kind of a weed that was planted amongst the wheat, is a kind that is almost indistinguishable. You can't even tell the difference until it reaches a certain height. 
And by the time it's reached that height, and by the time the fruit begins to show, and the wheat begins to grow, and the fruit of the tear, the weed begins to grow, by that time it's too late to separate them. Because their roots have been so entwined together that to rip out the tares would be to rip out the wheat also. And at the very beginning, you couldn't tell the difference. At the very beginning, the wheat and the tares looked precisely and exactly the same. That's interesting to me. There are many people who come and go, aren't there? Many people come and go have come and gone from our chapel. Many of them have made great professions of faith. Many of them look to be spot on the money. There they were popping up out of the soil. They looked to us to be tr the true deal, the true blue, the real deal. They looked to be the wheat. And they looked like not just wheat, but they were going to produce a lot of fruit. And everybody got excited and rubbed their head, hands together and said, this one's really going to be a blessing to us. This one, I'm telling you, is going to bear a lot of fruit, probably a hundredfold and maybe even two hundredfold. And the truth is, give it a little bit of time and you'll find that the one that looked like wheat turns out and proves itself to be tares. Tares. The sad thing is, it's very hard for us to tell the difference until we get closer and closer to the end. And I believe with all of my heart in these days in which we're living, as we are approaching the end of the world, Jesus talks about when that separating time will take place. That's not right now. But when he comes, that's when it takes place. But the interesting thing is this. The closer we get to the harvest, the closer we get to the end of the world, the more and more you can tell the difference. Isn't that true in the day in which we live right now? Isn't that true with our present circumstances? Those who once shined their brightest are now proving to be the dullest. Those who once beat their own drum so loudly and blew their own horn so, so loudly, those are the ones right now who are Absolutely as far away from God as imaginable. And the closer we get to the time of the harvest, the more the fruit of the wheat is clearly seen. The more the fruit of the tares is clearly seen. Now I want you to ask yourself this evening, what kind of fruit are you bearing? What kind of fruit is found in your life? Are you, simply a, are you simply one that looks you've managed for the last so many years or months or weeks, you've managed to fool everybody else in the field. You've managed to fool everybody else because up until now you've been able to talk the talk and dress the dress and you'd look the part, but now as we're getting closer and closer to the end of the world, you're finding it harder and harder and harder to fool God's people. And I tell you, the closer we get to the end of the world, the more we're going to see people's true colors. The more we're going to see the difference between the wheat and the tares. What kind of fruit is in your life? Now, I want to be careful because it's not my job to tell you whether you're a wheat or a tare. 
So I don't want to stand up here in my pulpit tonight and, and act as if I'm higher than you and act as if I'm great and mighty. and That's not my job. I, I am not permitted. It's not my job to go out into the field and start ripping up tares and start pointing my finger and saying, you're a child of the devil. Because that's exactly what a tear is. Planted by Satan. It's not my job. My job is just to say to you, hey, what kind of fruit is in your life? Most of you know, if you've been around this church for any length of time, or you've been around me for any length of time, most of you know that a verse that I hold dear to my heart, perhaps my favorite verse in all of Scripture, is that which is found in Luke chapter 12 and verse 24. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And the key to a fruitful Christian life is a life of death to self. Death to all of your wishes and ambitions. Uh, death to what you want to do and a yielded consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ. George Mueller said this, I found this interesting today and shared it there on my Facebook page. George Mueller said, there was a day when I died. Died to self, my opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Now can I ask you tonight, has there been a day that you died? Has there been a day that you died to yourself, that you died to your friends, that you died to this world, that you died to the opinions of everybody else? Or are you still, still trying to please everybody else? Can I tell you, if you're, trying to, if you're wasting your life trying to please everybody else, chances are you're very discouraged right now because you can't do it. But if you've died to self and yielded yourself to the Savior, then like a true corn of wheat, you will bring forth fruit. And it's God's desire not just that you're planted, but that you would bring forth fruit, and not just that you would bring forth fruit, but that you would bring forth much fruit. That's his desire. John chapter 15 tells us that. We glorify him by bearing, bringing forth much fruit. And so you might say to yourself, well, what are we going to do about all the tears in the churches today? I had a conversation with one of our, our, our dear sisters here in the last week. Rang me up terribly, terribly distraught, and rightfully so. She stumbled across some of the most well-known preachers supposedly sound, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching preachers, well-known, well-liked. Every time they got into a pulpit, thousands of people would clap and praise them and rejoice because here was the supposed man of God. And she, said she stumbled across some very frightening, frightening sermons and footage and awful carrying on and nonsense that took place in a pulpit in the name of preaching. She rang me up asking me about it. And the reality is that's not new. In every denomination, in every kind of a church, 
you'll find the same thing. Satan planting his tares. Tares. So what do we do? There's nothing you can do. It's not about the tares. What we can do is preach God's word and live what we've been called to live and do what wheat is intended to do. Bear fruit. Grow. Grow. Feed and feast on the word of God and, and let the spirit of God dwell in you and the word of God dwell richly in you and get on your knees and pray for God to protect your soul and to give you discernment to be able to tell the difference between a snake in the woods, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a false prophet, a tear, a goat. And when you see it, don't be afraid to run far from it as, possible, as much as you possibly can. Watch your own self. Take heed unto your own selves. Now, Jesus explained something to us in closing. I want you to see this. And this is what he instructs his servants. Nay, don't separate them. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. And in verse number 30, Jesus says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together, first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus will separate them. I will say to the reapers, I will give the word. And the reapers, according to Jesus, are the angels. The harvest is the end of the world, verse number 39. And the reapers are the angels, and therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. And so Jesus says, I'll take care of the separation. You just live the way you should live. Can I tell you, if we spend more time with our eyes fixed upon the Savior, living as unto the Lord, as George Mueller said, if we spend uh, more time studying to show ourselves approved unto God rather than approved unto man and worrying less about the tares, we ought to worry about them. We ought to be concerned about them. It's not our job to separate. It's his job. And it's coming a day very soon. I want you to listen very carefully. It's coming a day very, very soon. Because we're getting closer and closer to the end of the world and the wheat is growing and God's people should be bursting with fruit. And as we get closer and closer to the end of the world, Jesus will sound. He'll give that certain sound to his angels and they'll gather together all the tares. The Bible says he'll bundle them up and cast them into the fire to be burned. He will separate. I want you to listen tonight very carefully. If you're watching and you have been pretending for a long time, can I tell you something? When he sends his angels to divide and separate, you will not fool Jesus Christ. You might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool your church. You might be able to fool your wife or your husband or your children, but you cannot fool the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the omniscient God of the universe. He knows your thoughts right now. You think you can fool him? And don't you worry. 
all these wolves and sheep's clothing, all these people who get on television and tell you all whatever sort of nonsense they're, they're on about, they will be separated and they will be dealt with. But can I tell you, don't worry about them. Examine yourself. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's G the words of Jesus. I posted a, a quote recently of Charles Spurgeon about how he said, if somebody's going to go to hell, let them leap over my dead body. Let us do everything we can to keep them from going to hell. And somebody made a comment about how they have a hard time believing that God would send people to hell. But these are the words of Jesus. They're not the words of a modern uh, 21st century preacher. And you say, well, you're just, you're just a dinosaur. I've been accused of that before. You're just an old archaic. Somebody once said to me, they, they attended our church for a while and left and said, well, you're just too Victorian uh, for my liking. And little did they know that was a compliment to me. You're just too Victorian, too old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned. It's God's Word. And it's a sad day when people, people who stand and proclaim the Word of God are considered old-fashioned. But Jesus said that the tares will be gathered out and cast into the fire. Now, he's dealing primarily with his church, his kingdom. Now, we also know there are other parables that deal with him separating, not just the ones in his kingdom, but the entire world. This is dealing with his kingdom. Our churches filled with fakes. And I wonder tonight, don't you be sitting there on your sofa uh, proud of yourself because you're watching an online service. When the Lord Jesus separates the wheat from the tear, where will you be found? I hope that you'll be counted amongst his children who are gathered into his barn, gathered into his kingdom, gathered to live with him for the rest of eternity. I hope that's where, you're, where you will be. If you are a tear, by the way, there was one of the old early church fathers that said this, be careful because what may appear to be a tear today may be a wheat tomorrow. That's pretty good. Another one said it like this. What may appear to be a goat today may be a sheep tomorrow. So be careful. Before we start pointing the finger and trying to figure out all the, all the goats in our church and trying to figure out all the tares in our church, hold on a moment now. God may do a work that tomorrow, tonight. And if you are a tare tonight and you know it, you've been pretending for far too long, too long can I tell you, let him save you today. He has the power in an instant to change your hell-deserving soul, to save you. And if you repent today and turn to Christ today, you'll escape that fire that is to come. But if you continue on in your stubborn ways, please that you fooled the church and please that you fooled everybody around you. Don't be surprised on that day when you're gathered together with the rest of the tares and cast forth into the fire. My last little thought is this. That day is coming sooner than you realize. Sooner than you realize. Sooner than any of us realize. If you can't tell we are living in the last days, 
If you, if you are not able to see what is happening all over the world today, what is happening in this world system today, if you can't see that, may God wake you up. We are living in the last days. The wheat is showing its fruit and the tares are showing its fruit. If you're lost tonight, come to Jesus. If you're a child of God tonight, bear fruit. Bear fruit. How do you do that? You say, that's easy to bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? Fruit is only born as you remain closely connected to the vine. Remember what Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our children have been memorizing that portion of scripture. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, much fruit can be born. Stay close to Christ. Stay rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Drawing all that you need from him. Drawing your life from him. Drawing your love from him. Drawing your teaching from him. Stay near to Christ. May the Lord help us. Let's bow our heads together in prayer and we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, bless, we pray, thy dear people. Give us wisdom in these days, discernment. May we be fruitful for thy honor and thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing together our last hymn, a very appropriate hymn. It's taken from Sacred Songs and Solos, 577. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford.
That is the truth. We need him every hour. And let me encourage you, if you are one of his, then he will not let you be pulled out. He will not. He will not let